Tatvam aham maha 
This means that he sees with his eyes or with his spectacles. He sees with the instrument of sight. If the instrument of sight is broken or becomes diseased or incapable of acting, then he as the seer also ceases to act. Similarly, in this material body at the present moment, <clears throat> the living soul is active and when the material body, due to its incapability to function, ceases, he also ceases to perform his reactionary activities. When one's instrument of action is broken and cannot function, that is called death. Again, when one gets a new instrument for action, that is called birth. This process of birth and death is going on at every moment by constant bodily change. The final change is called death, and acceptance of a new body is called birth. That is the solution to the question of birth and death. Actually, the living entity has neither birth nor death, but is eternal. As confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, na hanyate hanyamane sharire, the living entity never dies, even after the death or annihilation of this material body. It's interesting, uh, as uh, Madhya Pradesh was saying yesterday, um, this whole section, as we know, Kapilamani is trying to, uh, if you remember, in the 29th chapter, uh, Queen Devruti or Mother Devruti asked two things of uh, Kapilamani. She asked, one, that can you describe devotional service? Right? Can you describe devotional service to me? after having gone through all the other uh, Sankhya and other philosophy, philosophy, she asked her, can you describe devotional service to me? And can you, let me read that, can you also, uh, let me just read that as we And she says, please also, my dear Lord, please also describe in detail, both for me and for people in general, the continual process of birth and death for by hearing of such calamities, we may become detached from the activities of this material world. So she's seeking knowledge, further knowledge of devotional service, and further she's seeking that knowledge by which uh, there can be detachment from the activities of the material world. And that's what we see, right? Since then, Kapilamani has been very graphically describing this material existence. So the question comes that then why is, why did Devruti, Mother Devruti ask uh, for these two things? Why did she want uh, to know about it? Which if you go back, when Kadvamani, when she's talking to Kadvamani and she realizes Kadvamani is not going to be with her forever, um, she says this, uh, so there's a verse in the 23rd chapter which is very fascinating. Very powerful, where she says, Saham Bhagavate Nunam Vanchita Mayaya Dhiram Yatva Mumukti Dham Prapya Na Mumukshiva Bandhanath. So she says that I have solidly been, I have been solidly cheated, I have been solidly cheated by Maya 
that even though you, that is Kadava Muni, you could have given me the path to liberation, I did not seek it. Right? So she's feeling solidly cheated, which is very interesting. And if we think about it, her qualifications, that you know, here is a person, we, I mean, she was talk of this world or this universe and things like that. She was Manu's daughter. She was like, you know, the ultimate in princesses. And her own qualifications were so significant. And she had such a consciousness that even uh, at that point, instead of seeking some big king or prince or something like that, she sought Kardama Muni as uh, her husband. And she sought to, she didn't mind living in a forest and things like that, to have his association. And in way we construct, typically a husband is naturally uh, the woman's spiritual master. So in this case, she had such a qualified spiritual master in the form of Kadiva Muni. And on top of it, as we all would have heard, right, she also served him so perfectly without consideration for her own body, her own comforts, her own upbringing. She was uh, completely uh, subservient and of service to Kadamamuni. Despite that, here she is feeling cheated. So it's interesting that for her, it's like a waking moment. It's like a big, big crisis, a situation of feeling my entire life has gone waste. What was this all about? You could have, I had somebody as qualified as Kadamamuni and I could have gotten liberation. I could have gotten so much more. But what did I do with my time? So this turning point that she, or this waking point, waking up point, it's interesting that she comes through. And if we actually, you know, if we think about in Bhagavatam, we see that in so many devotees' lives, right? You see Naradmani, of course, in his case, just by the association of great sages, he was already in that place that his first-class intelligence, just by hearing from the sages, he was moved and he, you know, walked away at five years to seek, search out the truth. But then you also have people like Chitaketu, Dhruv, um, Parikshit Maharaj, right, Arjuna, Pandavas. There you notice, like, Pandavas is interesting that when they learn about Krishna leaving the planet and they realize Kalim is coming in, they observe the symptoms and they move on. They give up all their kingdom and everything else and walk away. Right? So just by observing, just by learning, they are like, okay, we are done, let's go. Chitraketu, Devahuti, Dhruv, they are kind of interesting that Chitraketu wanted a son so badly, right? He was willing to go through so much to get that son. And even after he got the son and the son passed away, he still was just lamenting, lamenting, oh, where's my son, where's my son, where's my son? So he went through so much desperation. So again, a waking point, right? He, he loses that which was so dear to him. Same thing, Dhruv Maharaj, he so very badly wanted a kingdom. So very badly wanted a kingdom, but when he got the kingdom, or when he got Krishna in front of him, what was his situation? Another waking moment, right? He feels like, oh, what did I run after? I was run, I, you know, what I was running after was just pieces of glass when I have, I could have got diamond right here. So Devahuti is going through a similar thing that she has had everything, she's done everything, and yet she's at this point of saying, what did I do? I had such a wide, such a clear intelligence, such great wisdom that I sought somebody so, so elevated, and what did I do with him? 
So it's interesting to me, that's very fascinating about this section, that this is very applicable or very relevant for us also, because in some ways, we can learn from Mother Devmuti, that we also, right, at some level, have some awakening to say, we want to come to Krishna consciousness. We want to do something different from the rest of the world, right? So we come away, like Mother Devmuti, we come to the forest in license, right, and to the temple, uh, and temple life, which is like a forest for the rest of the world. And then we also search after a spiritual master, an elevated soul, similar to Kardana Muni, and you know, seek their guidance and try to, in their guidance, do devotional service. Yet, at times, my Guru Maharaj would say that don't be surprised that even after all this, uh, you may find Yamadutas at your doorstep is Ravishnu Dutas. And he would say that we discuss Bhagavatam, we are with Bhagavatam, but sometimes we don't really digest Bhagavatam. We don't really move from Jnana to Vijnana. So by that what it means is Jnana is knowledge, is theoretical knowledge. I know, I know I'm not the body. I know I'm not my house. I know I'm not my money. But if she were to say, okay, give me your house tomorrow and give me your money tomorrow, tomorrow, what am I going to do? Will I hand it over? No, I mean, like, I'll fight with her, I'll throw her out probably or something like that. Because it's gyan, it's not vigyan, it's not knowledge of the heart. So the Prabhupada gives this uh, thing about Socrates, that, you know, one time, so Socrates, uh, Prabhupada thought, mentioned that he was like Brahman realized. So when Socrates was questioned by the council, and he said, yeah, I'm not the body. So they said, oh, really? You're not the body? Okay, how about having this hemlock, poison? And actually, according to Prabhupada says, Prabhupada says that he actually took the hemlock and drank it. And Prabhupada says in that context that here was Socrates who actually realized that I'm not the body. So he wasn't moved by it, he could actually have the poison. If, I mean, I can speak on Bhagavatam, <laughs> but if you ask me to have poison, I'd be like, oh, forget it, right? So that's the difference, that we have jnana, we have theoretical knowledge, but that knowledge has to transform into vijnana, into realized knowledge. And that's the turning moment in all these devotees' lives, in Chitraketu's life, or in Naguni's life, or in Dhu's, or in the Devahuti's, which is why it is so important that Mother Devahuti actually woke up to the fact of this world. So like 1177, Bhagavatam says, right? So he says, Whatever you see through your mind and through your speech, through your chakshu, through your eyes, through your ears, and etc. So whatever we see, Right, through all our senses, is what? Nashwaram Grayamanamcha. It is Nashwaram, it is all its path to destruction. Nothing is going to stay, nothing is going to live, right? Our bodies themselves are going to get destroyed. They're going to mix with earth or get burnt. These houses are constantly degrading. Everything around us is constantly degrading. So he says last time, Vidhi Maya Manomayam, know that this is my illusory energy. So, uh, a lot of times, that, that is a significant thing, that's a significant uh, meditation 
that is needed for us while we're progressing on devotional service. In that regard, I don't know if uh, it's a, I think it's a part, it's a popular uh, uh, statement by Prabhupada in 2.112 Bhopat. He says, uh, if I remember it rightfully, devotional service, which is based on the foreground of full knowledge, combined with de uh, detachment from material association, and fixed by oral reception of the Vedanta Shruti is the only perfect method by which a seriously inquisitive student can realize the absolute truth. So if you're interesting, it's interesting, he says, uh, devotional service which is based on the foreground of full knowledge and detachment from material association. And if you notice, Devhuti, what, is the, what are the two things she asks of uh, Kapila Muni. She's been doing devotional service, if you think about it, right? She was serving Kadama Muni all through, so she was doing devotional service. Yet, the two things she asked for is knowledge about devotional service and tell me in detail about the activities of the continued repeated birth and death, so that by hearing all those calamities of material existence, I may develop some detachment. So, not that we're going to develop a detachment in one day, and, but the thing is that it is interesting to hear that and to kind of reflect that our devotional service also must be continually developing in us that increased vigyan, increased actual heart-level knowledge, and progressively detachment, detachment as an acceptance of things that are in reversal, right, or reversal to our mind and body and our senses. That is actually an opportunity to actually wake up, surrender to Krishna a little bit more, to actually understand this world, to understand our own mind, body, senses versus our goal, things like that. So therefore, it's very relevant, at least to me, it felt like it's very relevant, and that's what this verse is also saying. That just because, just like when the eyes lose the power, we cannot see, in the same way, we, and therefore we think the seer is dead, in the same way, when we associate ourselves too strongly with our body and mind, then we also feel like when the body dies, I'm dead. When, the, when I get an instrument, I think I'm, I'm alive. But actually, if we are a little detached, if we are a little freed from our body, mind and senses, we don't associate, then Prabhupada says that is the solution that the soul never dies. We can actually live eternally. But the need is there to practice devotional service on one side. At the same time, that knowledge and that detachment to be growing towards our own my way or the highway, my significance, uh, whatever, you know, all the things that our mind takes us through over and over. And if we can use those opportunities, we may have small turning points. She had a big crisis. We may have small crisis. We may have big crisis too. We may. You know, we may lose relationships, we may lose our job, we may lose our uh, prestige, so many things we can lose, but there's no loss because that actually reduces, like Queen Kunti says, right? Vipadushantu Yashashwa, Tatra Tatra Jagat Guru, Tatra Tatra Jagat Guru, Vipadushantu Yashashwa, Tatra Tatra Jagat Guru, 
I'm forgetting it now. But, oh, yeah, the, sorry, I was going to say it again. Vipada Shantu Yata Shashwat Tatra Tatra Jagat Guru Bhavatu Darshanam Yatsyat Apunar Bhava Darshanam. And then the next one she says, Janma Shurya Shuta Shive Edmana Madha Guman Neva Hati Abhidhatu Vai Tvam Akinchana Gocharam. So actually, these reversals are only reducing our mud, our pride in our own mind, body, and senses. So they are actually good for us, they are not bad for us. They are the waking moments, just like for Devahuti, it woke her up. She thought she's going to have her husband forever. And she was so happy, right, with such a palatial mansion and everything else. She had forgotten her wisdom that it's all going to end. In the first place, why she did not seek a king and she came to the forest, was probably and speculating here, but because she had that realization and she somewhere forgot that. So in one sense, this turning point woke her up again. Why did I come to Kapilamuni in the first place? And therefore she requests Kapilamuni, please wake me up again. Please wake me up in such a way that I don't again get lost in this body, mind and senses game, which I don't, which causes me to just keep going again and again. And as a result of that, she prays and therefore Kapila Muni speaks about it. And of course, we know that she goes on to actually perfecting her life. So I think I, maybe I'll end here. And please forgive me if I said something untoward. If anybody has any questions or comments. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so you're saying how uh, these reversals can uh, reduce the pride. So, uh, can you explain, uh, that's a very positive thing, but generally when we encounter reversals, there's um, a big challenge to, uh, to deal with pride. I mean, we get a little humble, but maybe you could say something about how we do that, how we, um, I mean, does it, happen just automatically or is it a, it's kind of a, a process that we go through it's very hard to reduce pride so I was wondering if you could say something about that for sure <laughs> yes so that's probably why Krishna says um, so yes so yeah mud is a very difficult thing. And in fact, if we see, even with such exalted uh, devotees, like Mother Devahuti or uh, Chitraketu, it's so hard to be free of this pride or this consciousness of my own exist, uh, bodily existence. So it is by all definitely very, very difficult. At the same time, Krishna being so kind, right? Like we say, Yogakshemam Vahami Aham. He preserves what we have and provides what we lack. So as we perform our devotional service, and if we are a little bit introspective through our devotional service, we do see him guiding us towards, right, directing ourselves away from our mind, body, and senses, and our ego and mind. He does give us that guidance moment by moment. And to the extent we are able to take it, and continue to surrender to him, continue to serve, uh, put his service over our own service. To that extent, we get 
a tiny bit freed from our mouth, tiny bit freed from our mind, tiny bit freed from our senses. So ultimately, it is devotional service because it's only by absorption in Him can we not be absorbed in ourselves. But like you were saying, it doesn't happen right away. But that's why, um, you know, like the Bhagavatam says, right, that better a moment of full consciousness than a life lived in inexperience. The idea, my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm off, that is that moment by moment when we practice devotional service, the basis must be that that knowledge of what is the true goal, where do I truly want to surrender, that I have to surrender to Him, not to my body, not to my mind, not to my senses, not to my mouth, is the knowledge He's giving in our heart. And to the extent we hear that and apply it, to that extent our mouth reduces. On our own, we may try, but at least my own personal, limited personal experiences, it doesn't go very far. It's more repression than anything else. But He works on us very subtly and gradually and gently frees us from all these negativities. Any, anything else? Thank you. I was just thinking about that question. It was it about pride. Pride, yes. Yeah, it's just like, um, application of the vidyan, the gyan, you know, the knowledge, you're forced to. Um, and Krishna, Krishna can break our pride when he sees we're going around and still doing the service. And he wants to reciprocate with the purification. And he can sometimes rock you to your very foundations, <laughs> to the core. You know, you're tested. You're, he's just there. And then you have to apply the philosophy. You have to apply the philosophy um, to help you even survive. <laughs> because you see, what is there to be proud about? There's always someone superior and someone better. You know, why should I feel that I'm, you know, the best in, in anything and whatever? So sometimes Krishna does put us to the test. And it's very painful, but it's a lot of mercy that we should be grateful for. And then also we can um, get free of that pride by humbling ourselves deliberately and serve the devotees. And then Krishna is helping more and more. He's helping us to become free. Very nice. Um, I'd like to add a little bit more to it. I think he's working on us every moment, <laughs> not just sometimes. But it feels painful, if I may say, at least the little I would like to, uh, how I tend to feel, I would say, is that it's, more than if the pain is because of my own pride. And actually speaking, when he forces us into that, making us kneel, it definitely is nothing, nothing can be more painful, nothing can be more miserable than that. But if we are able to somehow by his mercy go through it, the freedom we get and the realization of, oh, that was so dumb. I wish I had you know, understood this freedom, this joy I can get by being free of that which I was holding on to. So it's really our anarthas that actually caused the misery. Krishna is actually just saying, you know what, you can actually have such a great time with me, you can run around. If, imagine, even in our material construct, if I'm freed of my ego and sensitivities, I can have a much better relationship. I won't 
You know, there wouldn't be so many divorces, there wouldn't be so many children living alone, right? Or, you know, just not having the right amount of attention, things like that. So Krishna is actually, in a sense, he's actually trying to be beneficial to us. We just see it more as a test, but he actually frees us of many conditionings that we are carrying in our heart. So, did you want to say something? Yeah, just, you're talking about um, uh, Gyan and service performed in the foreground of full knowledge of full knowledge and renunciation and combined with detachment yeah yeah and combined with detachment is the only way to actually yeah so it's like a nice little um, just it helps us to understand the application of devotional service because everywhere Krishna is saying this is the only way devotional service Prabhupada is saying at the same time he's also saying this that it's performed it's the primary thing it's in the foreground the other yes. things are in the background but there's just like 
so important, especially Bhakti Ratakura, he gave so much in his Sharanagati, Gita Lavi, Kala, Kalpatura. Lamentation for the beloved now, right? Because <coughs> my realize that's he's the real beloved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see, he wasn't since a mechanical process. Please give me strength. Hare, Hare, O energy of Krishna, O Krishna, I am fallen. I have no strength. Please accept me. That's all. I have no qualification. I'm frail. I'm trying and I'm failing. But all these appeals should be made. And Krishna is all powerful. He can do anything. He, even we do not perform, try our best. If we fail, Krishna will help us. Just like a child tries his best, but he falls down. The mother takes up. And all right, come on. Walk like that. Yes? So, Sri is emphasizing the mood, you know, that he will teach each other. Even if you cannot qualify, you should try to do that mood. That mood and chanting. Even though we have so many disqualifications. And it's a question of health. The first chapter of Bhagavad Gita, it, this, there's a set of palapans or titles for the chapters. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one is often called as Vishad Yoga, mm-hmm. which means the yoga of lamentation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Arjuna is how his lamentation actually acted as a yogic instrument. Because that's, that's, of course, the whole thing. Is that he, his heart breaks. He's completely broken heart. Yeah. And it's the best thing that could ever happen to him. Adding to that too, I've heard um, Madhavamana Prabhu in Jagannath Puri, he uh, explained that vishada also means like to take one's poison, mm. to take one's, one's own poison. Um, so like shad means like poison or something like that. Vish, vicious. Vish, yeah, vicious. yeah, vish. So vishda, huh? vishada, right? So then, um, yeah, this type of like poison of my, you know, Situation like what is you know what is my what is what is my really like how fallen am I really and just kind of like coming to terms with that embracing that like that weed that's in my heart acknowledging it acknowledging it and how how painful that is. Thank you so much. Shrimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Shrimad Prabhupada ki jai. Shrimad Gurudev ki jai.